Revelation chapter 13. Let's turn there together. I hope you're here once again to study the Bible because we've got an amazing passage of Scripture before us this morning. We're looking at the second half of this great chapter and another key figure from during the time of the Great Tribulation. Last week we looked at a coming global political leader that we refer to as the Antichrist. This morning we have his counterpart, a global religious leader that we call the false prophet. Now, if you have not been with us, I do always like to take a moment at the beginning of these studies to remind folks that you can get caught up in um, our, all the studies, on all the studies of our previous series by going to either to our website, ccubacity.com, uh, or to our YouTube channel. Uh, you can go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube channel. That way you can stay up to date anytime we upload new Bible teaching content. But it's so important because I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but the deeper we go into this book, we start referring back to stuff that we've previously studied. And that's why it's so important that we study the entire Bible, uh, because the entire Bible fits together. We're comparing Scripture with Scripture. We're rightly dividing the word of truth this morning. So, again, I encourage everybody to go get caught up if you have not, especially if you're visiting with us, because if you're just jumping in in the middle, you're going to be like, what are we talking about? Um, but this is really an exciting uh, passage of Scripture this morning. Back at the beginning of chapter 12, the Apostle John has begun relating a series of signs, and these signs are used to describe some of the key figures from during this last seven-year period of human history known as the Great Tribulation. In chapter 12, he wrote about a woman. We saw that that is the nation of Israel. He writes about a fiery red dragon, that is Satan. Uh, he describes a man-child, that's Jesus, the Messiah, the offspring of the woman. Back in the first half of chapter 13, where we were last week, he describes, uh, he begins to describe two beasts. The first, a beast from the sea, that's what we saw last week, and this morning where we'll pick it up in verse 11, a beast from the earth. But we said, we reminded ourselves, this is so important, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which he sent and signified by his angel to his servant John. That word signified comes from the same root word as sign. And so this is how the message of Revelation is communicated. It is primarily a book of signs. So in chapter 13, John is not seeing two literal beasts. This is simply how they appear to him. And it describes more their character or their nature. And these two characters figure heavily into the narrative, we might say, of the book of Revelation from here on out. So let's just dive right in. We're going to pick it up in verse 11. John says, Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. So similar to last week, where we talked about the Antichrist, but we said that in the verses we looked at, the word Antichrist doesn't actually appear same thing is true this morning. We're talking about the false prophet, but that term or that phrase, false prophet, does not appear in the verses we're looking at this morning. We pull that title from other passages in the book of Revelation. Chapter 16, verse 3. Chapter 19, verse 20. Chapter 20, verse 10. Notice, too, in verse 11, he appears like a lamb. Now, not as a lamb, okay? That would be Jesus, back in chapter 5, but like a lamb. 
So probably a reference to his religious nature, but we're also told that he speaks like a dragon. So despite his innocent lamb-like appearance, the message of this second beast is inspired by and connected to the dragon himself, who is Satan from chapter 12. Now, this has led many Bible commentators to observe that with the dragon and the antichrist and the false prophet, we essentially see a satanic trinity. Remember that the prefix anti doesn't necessarily mean against. It means in place of or instead of. And so with the dragon, we see an anti-father. This is what Satan has wanted all along, to be worshipped instead of God. With the Antichrist, we have an in place of Jesus. And now with the false prophet, we have an anti-Holy Spirit or an in place of the Holy Spirit. The role of the Holy Spirit is to point people to Jesus. Jesus said in John 16, 14, of the Holy Spirit, he will glorify me. In John 15, he says, he will testify of me. This is why anytime the Holy Spirit is truly at work, people are not going to leave the meeting talking about the Holy Spirit. They're going to leave the meeting talking about Jesus because the role of the Holy Spirit is not to draw attention to himself. It's to point people to Jesus. And the false prophet essentially serves in that same relationship to the Antichrist. When Jesus described the Holy Spirit, he said, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper. And that word another in the Greek language, it's a specific word that means another of the same kind. So Jesus and the Holy Spirit share the same nature. Well, it's interesting too, in verse 11 this morning, John says, I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. That word another, same thing. It means another of the same kind. So the false prophet and the antichrist share the same nature. His role is described beginning in verse 12. John writes, he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. Another reference to the counterfeit resurrection that we talked about last week. Take note of a couple of things in the second half of verse 14. It's the false prophet who tells those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast. In the second half of verse 15, we read that he causes as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And in verse 16, it's the false prophet who causes both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave to receive a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. So it is this false prophet who is largely instrumental for the world's worship being drawn to and focused upon the Antichrist. But the question becomes, how does he do this? Like, how is this possible? Now, we're going to talk more about this when we come to chapter 17. But I think it's really important for us to start laying the groundwork for this here because we haven't really touched upon this too much yet. The global climate of planet Earth in the last days will be one of tremendous spiritual deception. Now, that might be hard for us to imagine the way the world's going right now, but make no mistake, 1 Timothy chapter 4 says, the Spirit explicitly says 
that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. And when you really start to study the Bible, you start to see the scope of this. We're not talking about some radical fringe group, right? Or some cultic behavior in somebody's basement in Southern California. We're talking about a highly organized religious movement that will be embraced on a global scale in the last days. Things like the Abrahamic Family House, sponsored by the Higher Committee of Human Fraternity from their website, a beacon of mutual understanding and peace among people of faith and goodwill. This consists of a mosque, church, and synagogue to be built in the cultural heart of Abu Dhabi in the Middle East, capturing the values shared between Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, and originated after the signing of the document on human fraternity by Pope Francis and Grand Imam Ahmed Al-Tayeb. And the growing interest in Chrislam as a one-world religion. Or how about the possibility of a new globally recognized religious text to be authored by artificial intelligence, to be accurately, or sorry, actually correct. More on that in just a few moments. And I can't help but throw out this idea again. Uh, while not specifically mentioned in the Quran, within both Sunni Islam and Shia Islam, here's a summary description of who many Muslims believe their Mahdi, their coming Messiah, will be. The Mahdi will be a messianic figure, an unparalleled, unequal leader. He will come out of a crisis of turmoil, take control of the world, and establish a new world order. He will destroy all who resist him and invade many nations. He will make a seven-year peace treaty with the Jews. He will conquer Israel and massacre the Jews. He will establish Islamic world headquarters at Jerusalem, establish Islam as the only religion. He will arrive with supernatural power and be loved by all people on earth, and he will rule for seven years. And remember, back in chapter 6, he is depicted in Islamic art as a rider on a white horse. And many Muslims believe that before Mahdi comes, guess who comes first? Jesus comes first, Isa. And Jesus will point people to the Mahdi as their Messiah, which is exactly what the false prophet does with the Antichrist in Revelation chapter 13. Now, there's too much of this to go into today. So I'm going to offer in the future three supplemental Bible studies for just a low, low price. No, I'm just kidding. It's either going to be on a, it's either going to be on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night. I haven't decided yet. And I will add qualifiers to these, but they will look at the potential role of technology in the end times, the potential role of Islam in the end times, and then this coming one world religion. These will be very in-depth Bible studies, almost like a Bible college class. Um, if you're interested in a sneak peek into what those studies will be like, we have a study on our YouTube channel right now called Who is the Queen of Heaven? It's based on Revelation chapter 17. 
It is by far our most popular Bible study with about 17,000 views. We did it five years ago to this day. It still gets comments and views. So I encourage you, watch for those coming supplemental Bible studies. Uh, they'll be coming sometime after Vacation Bible School. I can't tell you the number of times I've said to Amanda and several others that next summer it is absolutely imperative to remind me not to be teaching through something like the book of Revelation right before Vacation Bible School. Um, certainly not chapters like 12, 13, and 14, right? Um, but back in chapter 13, we've got the counterfeit resurrection of the Antichrist. It's alluded to in verse 12 and verse 14, back in verse 3, where we were last week. John says, I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded and his deadly wound was healed. Bible commentator David Guzik writes, this is truly an antichrist who even imitates Jesus in his death and resurrection. But it's because of this, John says, that all the world marveled and followed the beast. Verse 14 says, so they worshiped the dragon and gave authority to the beast and they worshiped the beast, saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? So the counterfeit resurrection has much to do with the world's embrace of the Antichrist as a counterfeit Messiah. But it's also because of the role of this false prophet. John says in verse 13 that he performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men and he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs. Chapter 19 tells us the same thing. The false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark and worshipped his image. Now, this confirms something that both Jesus and Paul talk about. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus' disciples come to him one day and they say, What will be the sign of your coming? and of the end of the age. First thing out of Jesus's mouth is, many will come in my name and say, I am the Christ and deceive many. In verse 24, he elaborates and says, false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. In 2 Thessalonians, Paul says, the coming of the lawless one, a reference to the Antichrist, is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. Now, in reality, this is nothing new. All the way back in Deuteronomy chapter 13, God warns his people of prophets who would use signs and wonders to lure his people into idolatry. Let's not remember that, or let's not forget that during the time of the Exodus, when the magicians of Pharaoh could pretty much match the powers of Moses and Aaron, almost miracle for miracle. And I think that we see the same thing this morning in chapter 13. Notice how in verse 13, John highlights a particular miracle. He says, he even makes fire come down from heaven. Why is that significant? Well, back in chapter 11, you may remember the ministry of the two witnesses it says, God says, I will give power to my two witnesses, and if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. If anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this same manner. So this specific miracle highlighted of the false prophet 
in the eyes of the deceived world, answers the miracle of the two witnesses. It provides a rationale. By the way, kind of a sidebar, but I think this brings up something really, really important um, that honestly I could spend an entire Sunday morning, if not several, talking about. Just because a person or a ministry demonstrates signs and wonders, it does not mean that person or ministry is of God. And this is hugely important. In Mark chapter 16, Jesus says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. But then he says this, and listen carefully. He says, These signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. If they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. But did you notice? Jesus says signs would follow those who believe. Not that those who believe should follow after signs. In fact, in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says very specifically that it is a wicked an adulterous generation who seeks after a sign. And yet, in many ministries today, by many professing Christians today, seeing a sign has somehow become the end-all be-all of whether or not something is of God, even though we're told straight up in Scripture that the Antichrist will be able to demonstrate Power, signs, and lying wonders. The end-all be-all for whether or not something is of God is not signs. It's this. Is it biblical? Does it adhere to the truth of God's Word? You see, if there's ministries out there that are doing signs and wonders, but teaching false doctrine, stay away from it. The signs and wonders mean nothing. It's the word of God that he uses to change people's lives. That's why we're committed to the word of God here. Joseph Seiss writes, A miracle, simply as a work of wonder, is not necessarily of God. There there has always been a devilish supernaturalism in the world running alongside of the supernaturalism of divine grace and salvation which is exactly what will typify the ministry, we could say, of this end-time false prophet. John says in verse 14, He deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. That word image, it's the Greek word icon. It can mean a statue, it can mean a likeness or a representation, It's probably some kind of idol representing the Antichrist, most likely the abomination of desolation spoken of by both Daniel and Jesus standing in the holy place. By the way, I love something that Bible commentator David Guzik points out. He says, this is not a recent understanding of this passage. He says, in the very first commentary we have on the book of Revelation written by Victorinus in the early church, He says of Revelation 13, 15, that he shall cause that a golden image of Antichrist shall be placed in the temple at Jerusalem. And this is not the first time something like this has happened, right? 
Let's remember that Roman emperors demanded that people worship their image. In Daniel chapter 3, King Nebuchadnezzar erects a gold image and demands that people worship it. Even in modern times, check this out, from an article in just 2019, we read this. Xi Jinping's personality cult reaches unparalleled heights as his portraits replace religious symbols not only in places of worship, but believers' homes too. In its drive to eradicate religions, China's totalitarian regime relentlessly demolishes places of worship, converts temples, mosques, and churches into government-run centers where religious symbols are replaced with portraits of the country's president. Now, verse 15, we read that this false prophet is granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. So this image, this icon of the Antichrist becomes animated in some way. Now this could be supernatural. All right, the word for breath in this verse is pneuma, which is translated spirit. According to Strong's exhaustive concordance, it can refer to the Holy Spirit. It can refer to the, refer to the vital principle by which the body is animated or a rational soul. Or it can refer to a spirit higher than man, but lower than God, like an angel or a demon. It's also possible that this breath, the false prophet gives the image of the Antichrist, is technological. Perhaps this is the case of artificial intelligence. Maybe this is the singularity that so many people have become fearful of. The idea that an artificially intelligent thinking computer could suddenly develop a sense of consciousness. Now look, this is going to sound like something out of science fiction, but it's not. The rapid developments in the area specifically of artificial intelligence is taking the scientific community by storm. And I do think that this is something, and I include myself in this, I think this is something that's very difficult for us to wrap our heads around. But for the first time in the history of mankind, there is now a being, though artificial, that is more intelligent than we are. Up until this point in history, man has been the most intelligent being, but now we are being surpassed by a thinking computer. And it is predicted that the rapid developments of artificial intelligence will, and this blows my mind, literally change the world more than the combustible engine, the discovery of electricity, personal computers, cellular technology, air travel, rocket travel, and there are many outcriers about this. Singularity is defined as when an artificial superintelligence abruptly triggers runaway technological growth resulting in an unfathomable changes to human civilization. An upgradable intelligent agent would enter a runaway reaction of self-improvement cycles with each new and more intelligent generation appearing more and more rapidly, causing an intelligence explosion 
and resulting in a powerful superintelligence that would far surpass all human intelligence. A professor by the name of Werner Vinge said in his 1993 essay, all the way back then, the coming technological singularity, that this would signal the end of the human era, as the new superintelligence would continue to upgrade and it would advance technologically at an incomprehensible rate. Professor Stephen Hawking said artificial intelligence could spell the end of the human race. Everybody's favorite, Bill Gates, said, we do need to be worried about artificial intelligence. And of course, everybody's probably familiar with Elon Musk's now infamous quote that humankind's, humankind's biggest existential threat is artificial intelligence. With it, he said, we are summoning the demon, which I think is a very thought-provoking statement. Now, like I said, we're going to talk more about this in a future study called the potential role of technology in the end times. But I will say this before moving on. An engineer by the name of Anthony Lewandowski, uh, whom you may know from his heated legal battle between Uber and Waymo, he started a nonprofit religious organization called Way of the Future Church. And it has been shut down, I'll tell you that. But I do think this serves as an interesting glimpse into a mindset that does exist. From an article in The Guardian, we read, the way of the future church may eventually serve as an early indicator of how AI could fundamentally alter the human worldview. Their mission was, stated, to develop and promote the realization of a godhead based on artificial intelligence and through understanding and worship of that godhead, contribute to the betterment of society. Silicon Valley has sought solace in technology and has developed quasi-religious concepts. For futurists like Ray Kurzweil, this means uploading copies of our brains to these machines, leading to digital immortality, which, by the way, he says he thinks will be possible by 2030. Lewandowski said the worship of an AI god makes perfect sense. A religion based on the worship of AI will, in my opinion, be comprised of people, listen to this, who don't care how their god came to be made, what its limitations are, or that it was created by humans. They won't be worshiping the code. They'll pray for answers and receive them, and that will be good enough because instant gratification is an easy concept to sell. Vince Lynch, former, or, sorry, founder of the company of 4AI, said, the concept isn't so different from the concept of a holy trinity or a being achieving enlightenment. And scripture does make clear, by the way, from passages like 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 20, that demons do take advantage of idol worship and they use it to deceive and enslave people. So again, like I said, we'll talk more about this in future studies but it does roll into the very next verse. Verse 16, John says, this false prophet causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand <clears throat> or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark, excuse me, or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Again, all kinds of speculation about what the mark of the beast could be. 
Um, and it does figure heavily into the book of Revelation several times. It's here in chapter 13, but it's also mentioned in chapter 14, chapter 15, chapter 16, chapter 19, chapter 20. So it's an important idea for us to look at. The actual word for mark in the Greek has a lot of possible connotations. It can mean a stamp or an imprinted mark. It can mean a badge of servitude. It can mean a thing that is carved or a graven work like an idol. Again, we will talk more about this in future studies, but for now, and just based on the interest of time, a couple of things we can observe. This seems to be some kind of economic blackmail connected to the idea of commerce or buying and selling and used to force the world into the worship of the Antichrist. And you guys know there's been all kinds of talk about the need to reinvent not only the United States, but the entire world's economy. Cryptocurrency, blockchain, the World Economic Forum, the G20 Summit. And I hadn't really made this connection before, but as I was studying for this morning, it, it dawned on me in a way that it hadn't. And this is why I, I want to devote time to looking at this stuff in the future. But if you have the advent of something like artificial intelligence, which is smarter than us and can do our jobs better than us and doesn't have to be paid, you could be talking literally about millions of people suddenly out of a job. How does that impact the economy and force people into dependence upon the government to provide for them. Look, when you have someone who, and I know there's a divided opinions about this guy, but <clears throat> when you have um, someone who, who is as intelligent, I'm, I'm off script a little bit here, Ethan, um, but when you have somebody who's as intelligent as a Jordan Peterson, talking about that he's interacting with artificial intelligence and that he has written a book that has 12 chapters, it's 12 rules, and he instructs the artificial intelligence to write a 13th rule for his book, to write it like it's him, and incorporate biblical principles, and within three seconds, that chapter is produced, and it's four pages long. And Jordan Peterson says, I read it, and I couldn't tell that I didn't write it. That's mind-boggling, guys. Okay, so if the world crosses this threshold where we say, hey, these artificial intelligence, they can do our jobs better and it'll make the world better and more productive. And we don't have to work. Again, how does that affect the economy? So this all kind of starts to become this, this orb of things that we need to talk about and consider. Okay, I'm coming back to my notes here, Ethan. Um, we can see from this passage that there are dire circumstances for those who do not accept this mark. Verse 17 says, no one will be able to buy or sell except who has this mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. However, we know that the circumstances will be far worse for those who do accept this mark of the beast. Chapter 16 says, how a foul and loathsome sore will come upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. In chapter 14, verse 9, 
there's an angel proclaiming, if anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, that person will drink of the wine of the wrath of God. He will be tormented with fire and brimstone, and the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. But by comparison, chapter 20, verse 4, John says, I saw the souls of those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So verse 18, John says, here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. And people are always trying to come up with what the mark of the beast could be. I remember when one of the popular theories was that it was a credit card, right? Look, it's a number that, that you use for buying and selling. That, it, that must be it. Or how about several years ago when it was the barcode, right? That the first, middle, and last number of every barcode is a 666. That must be it. Just a couple of years ago, it was Microsoft's patent application for W02020060606 based on an ancient practice of gematria where you take a numerical value and assign it to every letter of the alphabet. I kid you not, the list is virtually inexhaustible for who the Antichrist might be. From Caesar Nero to Adolf Hitler, Henry Kissinger, Bill Clinton, Barack Obama, Donald Trump, Lady Gaga, Ronald McDonald. I mean, just you name it. There's some kind of theory for somebody's name that totals up to 666. And people have asked me over the years, well-meaning people, they've approached me and they said, Kevin, what happens if we take the mark without knowing it? And I would say this. At almost every single mention of this mark in Scripture, it also mentions worshiping the image of the beast. In other words, people in Scripture seem to know what they are doing when they accept this mark. And it is a deliberate choice to pledge allegiance and worship to the Antichrist. But I would also say this. You see that reference to wisdom and understanding in verse 18? It has the idea of spiritual discernment more than a mathematical calculation. So just think about it, right? If we happen to be here and something becomes mandatory that is in connection with the worship of a specific individual as God, for the purpose of buying and selling, don't accept it. And you'll be fine, right? One last note, we're reminded that Satan isn't entirely original with this. Back in chapter 7, we read of the 144,000, this is 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel, but they are specifically sealed by God on their foreheads to survive during and through the Great Tribulation. So here Satan just 
seems to rip off that idea. And guys, just know that if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you have already been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, Ephesians 1.13. You are God's property. You are bought, you are owned, you are protected, you are purchased, you are redeemed. No one can snatch you out of his hand. And the good news is we're not going to be here for any of this, right? Like we've talked about in a previous study, there is this blessed event known as the rapture of the church when Jesus Christ airlifts his bride off the planet before this stuff starts to happen. As the old expression goes, before judgment comes down, the church is going to go up. And so if you haven't given your life to Jesus Christ, you need to do that today, right? As the worship team comes up, y'all go ahead and come on up. We're going to close with one final song. Look, I just want to encourage you, and I'm never a huge fan of emotional manipulation. Just the invitation is open. Like as we sit here and we look at the Bible with where the world is going, hopefully you see the need to give your life to Jesus, to, to make that decision to believe that God loves you enough that he was willing to allow himself to pay the punishment for your sins and drink that cup of wrath so that you would not have to. Right? And today, we'll have prayer partners who are going to be standing by again as we close with this final worship song. I just encourage you, come, have someone pray with you. Maybe you just have a specific prayer need this morning and you just need prayer. Maybe there's a, a health thing going on or maybe there's an issue in your marriage or in your family, whatever it might be. Maybe you just need wisdom or direction for a particular situation. Guys, just, this is a safe place. You're never going to find a more safe place than this to ask people to pray with you or to make that decision publicly to give your life to Jesus Christ. So let's pray one more time. And then I'm just going to ask, and I do this periodically, I just try to keep us mindful of the fact that as the Holy Spirit is working, we also have an enemy who wants to snatch away the seed of God's word before it is sown into people's hearts. Please limit the distractions and the talking around the room so that we can just give the Holy Spirit time to draw people to himself. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for how much you love us and your great plan. We thank you that you have taken the time over the centuries to inspire people to author your word. You've protected the transmission of it down through the ages. And we can sit here today in 2023, and we can see that what is happening in the world around us aligns perfectly with what you said would happen. And so, Lord, we just want to be faithful. We acknowledge you as our God. Uh, we acknowledge our dependence upon you. And I just want to pray for anyone here in the room this morning that you may be wanting to draw to yourself. Do that great work. We know that salvation is of the Lord. Would you please today regenerate people by your spirit, write their name in your book of life, assure them a home in heaven, and expand your kingdom. We pray these things in Jesus' name.